0: And hey, good morning. Welcome to Grace City. If I hadn't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's David. I'm the teacher and pastor here. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of our community this morning. Hey, easy question off the top, uh, although uh, it, it might have an emotional response to it. Have you ever been uh, frustrated or angry because your expectation for church didn't match the experience? Now, I know that never happened at Grace City, but have you ever been frustrated or angry when your expectation for church didn't match the experience, right? Sometimes we go in with an expectation. When it doesn't go the way we think it's going to go, then it, yeah, it can, it can make us have that emotional reaction one way or the other, frustrated, angry, uh, whatnot. And it's not just church. I've used this illustration before, but it works. I'm going to use it again. Um, like, when I go to Krispy Kreme and the light says fresh hot donuts now, I'm like, I don't expect fresh hot donuts. But if you've been to the Long on county line, more times than not, the machine's broken. And I walk in and I don't get a warm circle, circle of goodness. And I'm like, come on. Like, I want my hot fresh now donuts. And when when they're, they're not warm and they're looking at me and trying to serve a cold donut, I'm like, get that out of here, right? And it's, it's a little bit soul-crushing that I don't get the donut that I want. And, uh, and look, that's, that's donuts, right? That, man, that's, I mean, that's, that's Krispy Kreme. But, uh, man, when the doors are open to the church, man, our light's on. When the doors are open to the church, that, that's saying, come inside, there's love here. Come inside, there is hope here. Come inside, there is grace And there's Jesus, come find, discover life in him. Yet when the church is is, is off and it's not functioning properly, then then people can come inside and actually leave further away from Jesus than when they walked in the doors the very first time. And how tragic is that? How sad is that? I don't think any church, like, sets out for that to be the goal, right? Like, I don't think there are any churches like, we want to be the place that moves people further away from Jesus. Like, I don't think that's how people start. You know, churches, man, when they begin, there's so much excitement. There's vision. There's boldness. People respond to the hope of the gospel. People lovingly serve and give and pour themselves out. But as time goes on... Maybe sometimes the, the vision is forgotten a little bit. Maybe the sense of excitement wears off. Maybe fewer people are engaged in the work, but, and, and the ones that are still engaged, maybe they get bitter about being the only ones left serving in the church. But as time goes on, oftentimes you can see a church that maybe just grows stale. Like the light's on, the doors are open, but the life, hope, joy, zeal for the gospel, zeal for the Holy Spirit, and those are in short supply. And maybe you've heard this phrase before, but it's what it is. It's a church that did the work of God in such a way to where unknowingly it actually destroyed the work that God was doing inside of them. That's happening in Exodus chapter 18. In in Exodus chapter 18, that that principle God doing, or the people doing the work of God in such a way to where it's destroying the work that God's doing inside of them. It's happening in Exodus 18, not among a church, but among the Israelite people. And uh, that's going to be our text. If you want to go ahead and make your way there, I'll get everybody kind of caught up on the story that we're in because we've been really, uh, since fall, we've been going just kind of through the Scripture. We started in Genesis, and now we're at Exodus 18. And, and so where we are is the Israelites, God's chosen people, they've been miraculously freed from slavery in Egypt, and God is leading them to the Promised Land. In the Promised Land, they're going to uh, build a nation of their own where they're going to live in such a way to help others know that the God of the Israelites is the one true God. Like, we're in that story right now right now, as they're on their way to the Promised Land. Along the way, God has used Moses to be the one to speak to the Israelites, to tell them uh, about God's decrees, to tell them about God's instructions, God's commands for the Israelite people. One function that we've not talked about that Moses serves for the people is that he also is one who settles the disagreements uh, within the Israelite community. So if two families were at odds with each other, two people were upset with each other, they would bring the dispute to Moses. And so, like he's kind of the man in the middle, right? He's he's the one that's that's trying to play peacemaker for the entire nation of Israel, and that's a big task. Just when you say it like that, but then when you also think about the numbers involved, like this isn't like hundreds of Israelites in the Exodus. This isn't even like thousands of Israelites in the Exodus. It's really more like hundreds of thousands. Some scholars even say over a million Israelites are part of this Exodus, coming out of slavery and headed to the Promised Land. And all those people are bringing their disagreements to Moses. Like, I, no way, I want that job, right? To, to hear all the disagreements from everybody, and he's, he's the one that's trying to, to settle it all out. But that's what's happening. And in Exodus chapter 18, Moses gets a visitor, except it's not someone bringing a complaint. It's his father-in-law, Jethro. Now, Jethro uh, was, was not part of the Israelite nation. He's a Gentile. In fact, he's actually a priest to a false guide. Yet when he comes and he talks to Moses and hears all that God has done on behalf of Moses and the Israelite people, Jethro then realizes the God of the Israelites is the one true God and he worships. So he becomes a worshiper of the one true God after hearing the Testament, after hearing all that God has done, he rejoices uh, on behalf of the Israelite people for all that God has done. Well, then he stays and he wants to watch Moses Or function in this role of kind of servant leadership for the Israelite people, and this is where we pick up the text Exodus chapter eighteen verse thirteen. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, "What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening?" Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. All right, so you see the issue. There's all the, all the disputes, all the people are coming, and Jethro is like, uh, there's a bottleneck in the organization, right? There's a choke point. This is all getting bottled up around Moses. And so he asked this question, you know, why, why do you sit alone as judge and all the people stand around from morning till evening waiting on you? Now, that, que- that question can sound loaded, like he's chastising moses who do you who are you to think that you're the one and only judge and or or like he's chastising the people they're lazy they're just standing around all day long i i I don't think that's the um gist of his question i i I think it's more hey moses this is not sustainable like what what you're crushing yourself in this work and the people are having to wait all day long uh, to have their problems resolved and so there's there's a delay in justice there's a delay in justice that's frustrating for the people and it's exhausting for Moses. Once more, Moses, with the role that he had, he was one that that would meet with God personally and, and hear the Lord's instructions and, and, and tell the people what they were to do and kind of how they were supposed to go. And so the more he's settling disputes between two angry people, the more he's not able to um, meet with the Lord and hear from the Lord and, and, and provide that type of service to the Israelite people. And so it's not that... What he was doing was bad, was needed. There needed to be some type of a court. There needed to be some type of a a judgment. It wasn't a bad work he was doing, but it was ineffective. It would have a detrimental effect on Moses and on the people. It wasn't blessing or serving the people in the best way. They were doing the work of God in a way that eventually would destroy the work that God was doing inside of them. So Jethro sees this and he has a suggestion for him. Look at verse 19. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, I love this phrase, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Okay, so you hear the suggestion, right? You know, Moses tells Jethro, "Keep, keep learning from the Lord. Keep hearing from him. Keep teaching the people his commands, his decrees, his instructions, but find some people in the community that you trust, men that are honest, men that are trustworthy, that can lead thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and share the work. Share the work with them. And what happens What happens when he shares the work? He's going to be sharing the blessing. When he shares this responsibility with the people, he's going to be sharing the blessing as well. I mean, it says at the end of it that all will go home satisfied. Now, this isn't like McDonald's, you know, over a million customers satisfied. That's not necessarily, I mean, maybe think of it that way. But, but think of it more in, like, in lines of they're headed to the promised land. They're going to be building a society that is supposed to be built on God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's justice. And so here, as they're on their way there and they have these disputes among themselves, as these are being resolved in a just fashion, it's going to be satisfying and pleasing to the people as well as honoring to the Lord, as well as honoring Him that is being carried out in this way. Some of your translations for that sentence might, might have, uh, they, they went to their place in peace. And so this work was happening in a way that was, was reconciling these relationships. And, and so Jethro is given a plan, and Moses is going to implement it. We'll see him carry it out in just a second. But the plan does the work of God in a way to where it blesses rather than in such a way to where it drains and depletes. And so Moses hears this plan, puts it into work. Look at verse 24. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times, the difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. So he puts it into place and into practice and it works, goes according to plan. And I, I will say this, you know, and the, the phrase that I said I liked other, he will be able to stand the strain. Um, like it's still a heavy load, right? It's still a heavy burden that Moses is carrying. Um, but now he's able to stand the strain because all of them are carrying it together. It's, it's a load. It's a burden that's really placed on all the people. And, and really, if, if you do the math... Like if, if, if the number is north of a million Israelites with them, I mean, it would take a ton of people even to have the thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And so this burden is given uh, to, to really uh, so many of the Israelite community and not just a select few. And when they do, the society functions better, justice is given, and the people are properly cared for. This, this text kind of reflects one uh, that happens in the New Testament as well. Uh, there's a period in the early church in Jerusalem, in the book of Acts, where the, the disciples, the apostles, they're struggling uh, to juggle all their duties, to preach the gospel, make sure the health of the church in Jerusalem stays healthy, and to properly care for all the people, specifically to properly care for the widows in that church. And so when they can't quite get that done, they decide, let's, let's select deacons from within the church, and we will share the responsibility. They'll, they'll be the ones to help us distribute food, food and other acts of service in the church and when they shared that responsibility it shared the blessing with the church when that work was limited to just a few there was a limited amount to the blessing but there's a, there a limited amount to the good that could be accomplished when it's shared the good increases when it's shared the good amplifies there's a shared responsibility that leads to a shared blessing now you know where i'm headed with this in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul takes this principle of shared responsibility to shared blessing. He takes it one step further. Not just something that should be practiced from the leadership in the church, but something that should be practiced by everyone in the church. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, another kind of, kind of two primary texts for us this morning. I want you to see it. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Now this is... Um, just about the book of Ephesians so we know what we're reading. Um, this is a book that Paul writes to a single, single church, a church at Ephesus. And he's writing not to correct a heresy, he's writing not to correct a doctrine, not to correct bad behavior, but really he's writing just to, just to deepen their understanding, to deepen their theology, to further their doctrine about who Christ is, what the Lord has done on their behalf, as well as their doctrine for how a church should function. And this is where we come in. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, right there, just with those first six verses, you can hear his call for unity. Uh, a, a unity within the church. There's no um, us versus them. It's one body, one faith, all stemming from the one true God. Now, within a church, there is church leadership, but here you can already hear him talking and, and advocating for, like, a, that there's not a hierarchy in a sense of um, uh, an abuse of power or subjugation or anything like that. It's, it's alignment. It's, it's submission to Christ, the head of the church, and its unity of the body of Christ. And so he's calling for unity, yet with inside of this unity, he's not calling for uniformity. And we see that in these, in these next seven or six verses. And we're going to read it, but let me preface it with this. There's some language at the beginning that can be just a little bit confusing. I'm going to come back and I'm going to explain that in just a second. But stick with me for, for kind of how we can see a, a difference uh, within the body of Christ, yet still with it being unified. Verse 7 But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ uh, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers... To equip his people, catch us for works of service, that's equipping all the people for works of service, so that the body of Christ, that is the church, that the church may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and fullness of Christ. Okay, a lot happening in this. Let's grab the difficult language first because it leads into the next. When he's talking about ascending and descending, um, Paul is referencing Psalm 68, which is a psalm that celebrates one of David's, King David's military victories. And the way that that, uh, military victories were kind of celebrated, like the conquering general would then have this military parade where he would parade all of his captives and all the spoils of war through the other part of his kingdom so they would know how powerful, how mighty he was. So so uh, Paul, who am I talking about? Paul takes that image that was about David and applies it to Jesus and, and says and, and talks about Jesus, because what Jesus do, Jesus descends on to this earth walks upon this earth, suffers the cross, but in doing so, what does he do? He conquers and defeats sin and death on our behalf. And when he conquers that, he ascends into heaven in victory. And now the parade train that he's leaving, that, that he's leading, it's captives that he's rescued because it's those that have been held captive to sin and to Satan. So now Jesus is parading his captives, if you will, but he's showering onto them gifts. To the people, why he's giving them gifts to help them build up the church, prepare them for works of service, uh, works of service for the, that the body of Christ may be built up. And what does it look like for the church to be built up? Paul answers it that there would be unity, that we would grow in the knowledge of Christ, that we would be, we would be mature in our faith, and that we would attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That we'd be Christ-like. That we would grow in our Christ-likeness. Like that's the goal. That's the aim. That's the objective. That's the end goal. That's my hope and prayer for you and for me. That should be the expectation when we come to church. I know oftentimes we carry different expectations about what we're going to see at church about what we going to have for my kids, what's the service going to be like, what's the music, what's the preaching. All, like, I, and I know that's kind of all part of it. But at, the, at its core, the expectations we should have when we come inside these doors is that this is going to be a place that's unified, that's going to be a place that grows us in our knowledge of Christ. This is going to be a place that helps us bring about maturity of faith and helps us grow in our Christ-likeness. That's the goal. That's the work that we're about to be about for every single person that comes in. And that's my hope and prayer for you and for me, okay, That, that we would know Christ That we would know that in him is found forgiveness of sin, that he is the one that made a way for us to be welcomed into the family of God, that his way of living shows us the way that is right and true, that we can live by the virtues and the ethics of the kingdom of God and express that in such a way to where it bears fruit in our life and in the world around us, that we would mature in our faith, right? So that means that that the roots of our faith would go deep. So when life throws a curveball at us and we are just laid low by tragedy or heartache or whatever that that we would we wouldn't shrivel up and die right that our roots are deep that our roots would go so deep that again that it would help us bear fruit in our life and and, and in the lives of those around us that we would mature in our faith that you and i would know that we're called to unity that you and i would know that we're called to service of one another within the body of christ and that with that jesus has given us unique gifts unique and special spiritual gifts to you and to me that we can use in service of the church Now, Paul lists some of those here, right? He talks about evangelists and pastors and teachers, but in another one of his his letters, the letter to the Church of Romans in Romans 12, he lists out other types of spiritual gifts. And some of those are a spiritual gift of encouragement, encouraging someone else. Spiritual gift of giving, of leading, of serving. Spiritual gifts of mercy and compassion. And And he talks about how those are all part of the body of Christ. They're all needed to ensure that the body of Christ functions to help accomplish what we see here, right? Unity in the faith, growing in our knowledge of Christ, maturity of faith, and and growing in our Christ-likeness. Because again, that's the goal, that's the aim, that's the whole point. Yet far too often, churches try to achieve that objective with only using one or two tools in the toolbox, Right, That's the work, that's the goal that the church should be about, yet so often we allow just one or two, or maybe it's a few volunteers, maybe it's a few people on staff to be the ones to carry the load to achieve that objective. And while others might, might show up or might come, they don't deploy and engage their spiritual gifts to help the church achieve the objective. Now let me say this, because I, I, I don't want this to sound like I'm going on some rant or guilt tripping or anything like that. I think, um... Okay, I, I do think that maybe you and I, we, we've seen expressions of where a church, where all the ministries of the church function uh, around one or two individuals. And I do think that there can be times where maybe somebody's operating with a Messiah complex, right? That it has to be through me, has to be through our select few, we're the only ones that can be involved in everything. I, I do think there, that there are some broken expressions of that. On the flip side, I also think perhaps we've seen churches where people show up with a, a consumer mentality, like this all has to be for me, I'm gonna satisfy me, in and, and, and that regard, And and they're just going to sit there and watch other people do the work. I think we've seen broken expressions of that. Now, this is probably me being Pollyanna, you know, and and you know, uh, maybe overly optimistic. Um, But I I do think that it should be a good practice of grace that we assume the best in our brothers and sisters in Christ. I think more often than not, what happens in churches is is really similar to the experience that we saw in Exodus 18. There's a work that needs to happen. There's a need that arises. Moses happens to it. This is here, I'll get to work. And the people see that it's working somewhat, and so they go along with it. It's working to some degree. It's, 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 it's not great, but it's working to some degree, and so they go along with it, and, and, this, and it's just a pattern that continues. And the reason that I say that is because, like, I, I don't think Moses was operating with Messiah Complex. I don't think the people were being lazy, because as soon as Jethro makes the suggestion, like, Moses is all in. He's like, yes, let's share the load, and the people are as well. The people respond. And so, what I think happens in our churches is so often, you know, there's a need, one or two individuals happen to it, other people are, are there and thinking about them and, 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 you know, hoping good for them or, or whatever, but then, and it, and it kind of works and it kind of meets the need, but then it just doesn't quite function the way it should. May, people might not even be able to put their finger on why it's not working, it just doesn't seem to quite get it done there. And what happens is the same thing that it's a church that's going about doing the work of God in a way to where it's eventually going to destroy the work of God in and among the people. The leaders, the volunteers, they will either burn out or, worse yet, develop a self martyr type of mentality. The people will get frustrated and, 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 again, maybe not even know why it's not working, but they'll leave disappointed and frustrated because there's no unity. It's kind of us and them, or us versus them. There's no unity. There's no growing in the knowledge of Christ. There's no maturity of faith. And, and there's no, uh, no growing in Christ-likeness. People leave not satisfied, and no one goes in peace. And yet, Jesus has given us the solution, right? Like, I'm, I'm not going to throw you a curveball. Like, you know where this is headed. Like, you know what the solution is. We've already been going. Like, every follower of Christ, every follower of Christ must discern their spiritual gift and put it into practice in service of, of the Lord, in service of Christ, in and through the local church. Every follower of Christ must find their way to serve and contribute to the body of Christ. That's a better way of saying that sentence. It's a non-negotiable, all right? It's a non-negotiable. This isn't like, good idea... Do it when you have the time. This is a command that we have been given that carries the same weight as, like, don't cheat on your spouse and don't worship false gods, right? Like, it's, it's a command that, that carries the same weight as, as, as the Ten Commandments and, and all others and that we know are binding. And so we shouldn't view this command with any less weight or any less significance. We're commanded to find our spiritual gift and put them to work. Why? It's a shared responsibility that yields a shared blessing. Now, let, let, me, let me say this, because I do want to give this... Um, caveat to it there are times there are times when people need to come and rest and reconnect to christ reconnect to his church Uh, maybe it's a season of of turmoil on your home personal life and just transition it's like man right now i just need to have a time of rest i need to maybe i need to have a time where the church is, is ministering to me so that i can be restored and 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 kind of um uh, get my footing again, all right? I, I do think there are times where, where that needs to be the case. And, uh, and so please don't hear me um, ignorant of that. At the same time, I would give one word of caution that I think it can be very easy to have that period of rest and then to not start again. To have that period of, hey, I need to be restored and then apathy can just set in. To where, to where next thing you know it's weeks, months, maybe even years goes by, and you're not following this command of this is my spiritual gift and this is a way that I can put it into service. So I do think that that is a, a real thing. And I, and, and I need to speak that because I want to speak that in grace because some of you, that might be where you are. But I also think a, a lot of times um, we can just kind of have like... A, a, maybe a, a, a pushback against this or just a reluctance to get involved. And so, uh, but we're all commanded to find our spiritual gifts and put them into work. So that brings to two questions. One, how do I find my spiritual gifts? Uh, now, this is, sounds comical, but you can actually Google spiritual gifts inventory and some of them will show up. And, uh, and it, 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 sure, um, I mean, you can if you want. Uh, and I'm not mocking, they can be helpful in some degree, but my suggestion to you is just trial and error like get plugged in get serving somewhere and 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 have at it and and you will find and discover your spiritual gifts quickly or stuff that's not your spiritual gifts right like if you begin serving somewhere and, and it helps and it gives you life it stirs your desire for Christ stirs your affection for him if if it if it maybe it makes you uncomfortable in some places, but that takes you deeper into your faith. Like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be be able to do this if I don't depend on Christ. Then yes, you're probably operating in your spiritual gifting, operating in your calling there. So have at it. Now, if you're serving your church and like, man, this is crushing to my soul and I want to lose my religion, you know, maybe not, you know, like it's probably not where you need to serve. But, but this is why I say trial and error is a good thing because when, when you, when you dive into that and maybe it's soul crushing and you're like, I don't know if I like Christians anymore. Like if you're, if you're in that state, if you're in state, but you're seeing someone who has that gifting and is serving it well, then in that moment and through that experience, how much more do you appreciate the body of Christ? I'm not gifted in this way, but I'm so very grateful she is. So very grateful he is. And so I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to support them. I'm going to encourage them. And I'm so very grateful that what they're doing is strengthening the unity of the whole body of Christ. And all of us are helping one another grow in our knowledge of Christ, mature in our faith, and grow in our Christ-likeness. And by serving in this way, we're fighting, advocating for the unity of the church, right? So how do you find your spiritual gifts? Start serving and, and trial and error. That, that would be my suggestion to you. I mean, you can do all the other tests too, if you want to. I'm not making fun of them, they can be helpful. But just have at it, man. And, uh, and, and just see and watch how God speaks to you, and shapes, and guides, and molds you through that. Second thing, uh, how do I connect to a place of service? We've made this as easy as possible for you. I'm going to pull a Matt bricks here. Everybody take out your phone. Uh, so literally right now, I will not keep preaching until I see phones in front of faces. Um, so uh, if you'll uh, break out, some of you will be like, hi, I'll play that. I'll call that bluff. <laughs> and so uh, go to gcjxn.info. Uh, Rich has created a, a landing page for you and that says, you know, serving at Grace City. I've forgotten the verbiage of it, but uh, you'll, you know, it's the first thing that you hit. And uh, it's got a list of all the different ways you can connect at Grace City all the different ways that, that you can serve here. And there's even a box for other because you might be hearing like, man, I know I'm gifted in this way. I don't know how that's expressed at Grace City, but I'm game. I wanna be able to help. And so you can check that and, and, and connect to us that way. And we would love to talk with you, connect with you and, and help you find a way to use that gift uh, here at Grace City or use that gift through one of our missions partners or, or a way to contribute to the body of Christ. And in this way, like you can do it now, like as I'm preaching, you can go through, check, and and send it on so it's done. You don't even have to wait till after lunch uh, and and just just have at it. But in this way, you can know that you're starting to help equip one another to find the work that Christ is calling us to do, to grow in our knowledge, attain the maturity of faith, and grow in our Christ-likeness. Because again, that's the goal, that's the aim, that's the objective, and it is tragic when we miss on it. Tragic when we miss on it. Like there, there's sometimes on Saturday nights when I'm thinking about Sunday morning, and I just I feel the weight of what's at stake. Sometimes on a Sunday night when I'm replaying a Sunday morning, when I'm like, Lord, did we do it well today? Did we do it well today? And uh, there's a uh, for about I don't know if this is right or wrong. It's the insight into my psyche. Uh, There was there's a movie that kind of helped with that tension. It's a Kevin Costner and Ashton Kutcher movie called The Guardian. Uh, it's about Coast Guard rescue swimmers and, uh, Kutcher's the recruit and Costner's the vet and he's training all the recruits, preparing them for the work that they're going to have to do as rescue swimmers. And there's a scene in the movie where all the recruits are, uh, are seated in a classroom and he's playing this video for them. And uh, it's a video of all these ships like on fire and burning and sinking and people jumping overboard and rescue swimmers going to swim and get them. I don't know why I laughed at that. And, uh, and so like that, that's the scene. And, uh, and so he's just watching rescue swimmers in action going after it. And it's a, it's a pretty, I mean, it's a heavy scene. Costner's walking around the room and all these recruits are wide-eyed. They're 23, 24. And he says at 23, 24, 25 years of age, you're going to be in the water. And you're going to hear the people saying, save me. Save me, save me. And at 24 years of age, you're going to be the one having to decide who lives and who dies. And it's just a scene where all I'm just see the feel the weight of the responsibility that they've been given. Later on in the movie, Kutcher comes back to Costner and uh, is able to talk with him, and he says, "How do you decide? How do you decide who lives and who dies?" And he said, "For me, it's real simple." I swim as long as I can, as fast as I can, as hard as I can, and the sea takes the rest. Every single Sunday morning, those doors open and people come inside this room. And there are, some of you are coming in this room and your hearts are bursting with worship to the Lord. Like you've had an amazing week and you can't get here fast enough to respond in worship. And that's awesome when that happens. Some of you are here, some of you come in these doors off a routine, some of you are here and you come in these doors off of, maybe you're just curious off of who Christ is. Maybe you're just curious about this church, finding a way to, finding a way to connect. But some people come through those doors and maybe it's you this morning and people will come in and they're desperate, desperate to connect to some type of love, forgiveness, grace, and rescue. And like, I, I feel that weight on a Sunday morning because there's 200 of, of you and there's, and I'm like, man, who do I talk with? Who do I slow down and have the conversation with? Who, 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 do I, who do I need to slow down and move at the speed of love and have a conversation with? Who can I catch up with next week? But, because, uh, hear me, like, when I have a conversation with someone on Sunday morning, it's not like I'm sit down, we're going to talk about the gospel and, like, give a, you know, systematic theology talk with. It's, it's not that, but, I mean, come on, you and I, I mean, it's happened to me too. Like, walk in a place where I need someone to show me kindness. And like, just that expression of kindness would be enough to make me feel like a lifeline has been thrown to me, like I can make it, okay? And so like, just I, I feel that weight sometimes. And so like, I, how, do I, how do I deal with that tension? Because it can keep me awake on a Saturday night, and it can keep me awake on a Sunday night wondering, do we do it well? And so the, the, to help me sleep at night, I think on two things. I think on two things. First, I kind of adjust Costner's approach. And uh, I kind of adjust Costner's approach from swimming well in the moments to God, help me to love well today. God, help me to love well today and I'll trust you with the rest. God, I'll, I'll trust you to accomplish whatever you will accomplish today, but God, help me to love well this morning. So it's a prayer that I pray coming in on Sunday morning. Just help me to love and serve well and I'll, I'll trust you to accomplish his work. The second thing that helps me to sleep, the second thing that helps me deal with it is that I know I am not the only one in the water. Man, I look out in this place And I see elders serving. I see our staff. I see our interns. And I see so many of you knowing that that, that you have a role to play in this as well. Like there there are times when I look up and I see guests come in the doors. And I see Daniel and Meredith talking to them. Man, I rest easy. Because I know they're in good hands. There are times where I see a family come in with kids. And Adam and Andrea will greet them and walk them and take them on a tour back through the family ministry. And I'm like... I know they are well taken care of. And in that moment, man, I'm so glad to be a part of this church. I am so grateful, grateful, grateful to do this with you. So very grateful to be in a church where so many of you are leveraging your gifts, sharing in the responsibility, and sharing in that blessing. And so as I look, I see so many of you that are already doing this. If if that's you, my prayer for this morning is just that you would be encouraged in the work. Right? Right? that you would know you are helping the church. You're fighting for our unity. You're helping one another grow in our knowledge of Christ. Grow for our mature, you know, mature in the faith and grow in our Christ likeness. Be blessed in the work that you are doing. Be encouraged. And the mother hope and prayer this morning is that if you're here and, and you're not, that maybe this morning would be the catalyst to help you begin doing that. Again, not to be guilt trip, not to be heavy handed with it, but my prayer this morning is that you would realize that God has providentially gifted you and placed you and place you to strengthen the work that God is doing in and through the church. And know this, this isn't just a Grace City thing. We would love to have you here. We need you here. But maybe you're just visiting, or maybe as you're going through this, you're, God is calling you, No, this is the, uh, the church that I've called you to, okay? Take this principle and put it into practice there. We want you. We want you, if you're a follower of Christ, to know that you can use your gifts to build and serve, uh, serve the body of Christ, wherever he's called you, wherever he's placed you. Because every single Sunday, right? the light is on. Every Sunday, the light is on. Every Sunday, people come in with expectations. And if every Sunday, the church as a whole is using its gifts to make much of Christ, man, that is a day when the gospel is preached. That is a day when the joy the family is experienced. And that is a day where the victory of the kingdom is declared. And it is a way that our church can do everything within its power to help all leave these doors and go home satisfied, or go home to uh, go home in peace and the peace of Christ, knowing, at, at, at least knowing where they can experience and know the hope and the life and the joy that's found in Christ. They can walk out these doors knowing that this is a place where they can discover life in Christ. That's my prayer for you and for me and for our church that we would see the call that He has given, the shared responsibility that we have, and the shared blessing that it leads to.